Here's, here's what I want you to do. I, I'd like for you to join me in using your imagination this morning. Imagine with me for just a, a moment what your life would be like if you completely and totally believed that there really is a God, okay? That there really is a God, and that it's a God who really knows your name. He really knows you. He knows you personally. Imagine that there's a God who is real, that knows your name, and he is concerned about you and what happens in your life each and every day. And that he has truly promised you, and you believe it to be true, that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Imagine for a moment that you had that kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, in the midst of whatever's going on in your life, that God is in control, and that God is real, and that God loves me, that God wants, wants to have a relationship with me. Imagine if you had that, that when, when things are going bad, that your response is, well, there's really nothing I can do about it. God's got this. God's in control. When things are going well, you believe God's got this. God's in control. And it's not that, that things always go well. It's just regardless of what happens, you're simply saying, I have enough faith in God. In fact, imagine if you had that kind of trust. The trust that says it, it doesn't matter if things are going well or things are going bad. I trust that God's going to see me through. When things are going well, I don't get big-headed. I give him the credit and the glory because it's really from him. When things are bad, I, I don't you know, fall into the doldrums because... I trust that God is going to see me through. Imagine you had that kind of faith. The, the kind of faith, the kind of trust that regardless of the situation, there was peace. No anxiety. You didn't have to worry about your kids or your job or your family. You, you didn't have to worry about your finances or, or your marriage. And it's not that, again, it's not that things are, you know, 68 degrees and sunny and there's a nice cool breeze and you're walking in freshly mowed grass and you've got your favorite beverage in your hand and life couldn't be better. It's not that it's always like that. But imagine that you had the kind of faith and the kind of trust that God is with you and he is seeing you through regardless of what's happening in your life. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that kind of life be amazing? Wouldn't that type of faith be amazing? Now, here's the thing. If you had or have that kind of faith, you know what would happen? People would think you're a little crazy. People would, would just kind of wonder if you were, you know, the elevator went all the way to the top floor. Because honestly, if you know someone like that, you worry about them sometimes, don't you? Because you think, man, they just don't get it. They just need some additional information. And if they had some information, they wouldn't be all, oh, God is in control. They'd freak out like a normal person every once in a while, right? And so what do we do? We feel like it's our God-given mission to give them that information. God has told me to tell you that you're an idiot. Do you understand that this is happening? And, and when you share the new information with them, their response is, yeah, I, I know. But God's got this. God's in control. And, and, and as you see that, part of you is like, hello. But the other part of you is like, wow, that, that's, that's pretty amazing. And there's something attractive about that. Maybe your experience in your life is, is you, you know someone who's like that, and so you're doubting God on their behalf for them, right? You talk to them, and they're doing okay, but you're like, okay, I'm going to kind of throw some doubt in this situation. Because if God is, is all-powerful, you find yourself asking these questions like, well, why did God allow his wife to get cancer with all the stuff he's going through? Why didn't God allow him to get the job? Because, after all, he's been out of work for over a year. Why, why doesn't God, who can control everything... Why don't 
that, why doesn't that happen for them? They're good, but, but you wonder. You wonder, God, how can you do this? God, where are, you, where are you working? How are you working? Are you working? Are you real? But, but here's the deal. When someone has a, a big faith, or, or even just more faith than you are, wherever you are on that scale or whatever you know, walk in life, there's something attractive about it. And there's something that we can't quite put our finger on, but it's something that, that we desire as we see and as we watch and as we observe their life. We're like, we want more of that. See, the, the thing is, God wants you to have that type of faith. God wants you to have that big type of faith. When you read the Old Testament and, and the New Testament, you read the, the whole story uh, of God and what he's doing, you see that throughout it, God's desire for us is to have the, this big type of faith. And the reason that it's true in the scriptures and the reason it's true about your life and, and about my life that God wants us to have that type of faith is because from the very beginning of creation, when they were in the garden, this whole relationship was God, with God was altered ultimately by an issue of faith and an issue of trust. We always think about it as God told Adam and Eve, you can do anything you want except eat this one tree from the fruit from this one tree. And what did they do? They ate from that fruit of the one tree. And so we always look at it as this act of disobedience toward God. And that's what caused the separation and sin. And while that is true, there's a root issue to that. The root issue is the fact that, that they said, you know what? God's keeping something from us. God has something that he knows that he's not sharing, and we don't trust that he has our best interest in mind, and so we're going to take matters into our own hands. We don't trust you, God. That's what Adam and Eve basically said. And it wasn't just a matter of disobedience. It was a matter of faith. It was a matter of trust. And ever since then, God has been trying to reestablish that relationship of trust between his children, you and I, and himself. And that's what he desires for us. He wants us to have that trust and that confidence. He wants us to have that, that big faith in him. And so imagine if every day you woke up with the peace and the faith and the trust and the confidence that there's a God, that he knows you, and that he's really walking with you every step of the way. Think about how much of your life would be impacted. I would venture to say that everything in your life would be impacted. If we live that way, in the Old Testament, God established this nation of Israel through Abram. And, and when you read about that and see why God did that, one of the reasons God did that was to set his people apart. He wanted all the other nations of the world to be able to look at his nation and see this is what it's like whenever you are in relationship with the God, with Yahweh. This is what it's like. And yet what did the people do? The people had to trust God, didn't they? I mean, you think about it. When God led them out of slavery, you know, Moses led them, God directed, and they, they came out of slavery and they were wandering around the wilderness. Who did they have to depend upon? Who did they have to trust? And the answer is, it's a very easy Sunday school answer. It's God. Ready? Who did they have to trust? They had to trust God. Why? Because they had no other choice. What did they know how to do? They knew how to make bricks out of straw and mud. That's it. 400 years, that's all they had done. They're in the wilderness. They have no food. They have no water. They have no nothing. Who do they depend upon? Thank you. It's good, right? They had to depend upon God. 
And as they depended upon God, they, they trusted God. And then what did God do? Once, once they depended upon him and they were trusting him and they had this relationship, what did God say to them? God said, okay, now that you understand that I am going to provide for you, that I love you and that you can trust me and we have this relationship, here's how I want you to live your life. Here are these commandments that I desire for you to follow. And if you'll follow these, we'll walk in relationship with one another and it'll be this, this great relationship. But it came after the relationship. Don't miss that. God didn't set out all these rules and say, okay, follow these and then we have a relationship. No, God said, because we have relationship, because you trust me, we need to live this way. So whenever we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus and we see his interaction with people, we really shouldn't be surprised that, that Jesus doesn't come out and say, okay, God gave you 10, I'm giving you 10 more. Ready? Here they are. Boom, boom. No. He didn't give us a to-do list. If we do these things, then then God loves us. He, he simply tried to tell people, you know what, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And as a result of that relationship, there are ways in which we should live. But, but what's going to happen for this to work is that you've got to trust God. You've got to trust me as I represent God. And, and that's why this church represents. We exist to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ so that you can enter into that saving relationship with him and you can have that trust and confidence and just all that faith that you need in God so that you can live your life the way he desires for you to live. But to do that, it takes faith. It takes trust. It takes us, us doing the things that, that God's asked us to do as a demonstration of the faith and trust that we put in him. The more trust the more confidence you have in your relationship, the better the relationship is, the greater the relationship is, the more it just is going to, to help us to want to do the things that God has asked us to do. Think about it in relationship to, to your marriage or relationship to your parents or, or your children. The more trust you have, the greater confidence you have in the relationship, right? the better it is, the more intimacy you have. It's whenever you have that, that trust, and, and when things go the way you want them to, you have trust. And when things don't go the way you think they should, you still have trust, you still have faith, you still have confidence because the relationship is strong. And that's what God desires for us. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all of scriptures, it shows us that, that what God's desire for us to have is to, to come back into that relationship with him. And so if you were to ask me, you know, hey, Craig, what's God doing in your life? Well, I have to tell you that in some not-so-subtle ways, God has been reminding me, hey, dummy, trust me. He's saying, I just need to have more faith. I need to trust him. I just need to have my confidence in him and him alone because he's the only one that can do these things. You see, I would venture to say, and I would suggest to you that, that whether you're searching for Christ and you're here today, and I know there's some, some new faces, and maybe you're like, whoa, what did I walk into? Well, hold on, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But for most of us, it's not a matter of obedience. The root issue is, do I really believe this stuff, right? Do I believe what this word says? Do I believe that God really said this to me? Do I truly believe that when I read the words, that these are truly words of life and not just words of rules? Do I really believe this stuff? Because if we really believe this stuff, I think it really affects who we are. I think it really affects how we live. I think it really affects how we view life. But too often in life, we find ourselves going, you know what? I want to, 
I, I, I want, but I'm just not sure I can, because I just, I'm just not sure I really believe this. After all, I'm educated, right? I, I have all this stuff. I'm experienced. I'm not sure I can, I can trust this. And it's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. And God wants us to have big faith, because all throughout life, God is, is trying to grow your faith. He's trying to make it big. He's trying to get you into a relationship with him, a healthy relationship that's built on faith and built on trust and gives you the peace. And the more you do that, the more that relationship is characterized in the way that God wants to give us life and life to the full. Uh, Imagine being able to say, God, I have no clue what you're doing, but I trust you anyway. Too often we say, God, I have no clue what you're doing, and since I don't, I'm going to do my own thing. What if we trusted God in, in, in a great way? What if we just said, God, you're in control? There's an amazing passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 8. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn there. If you're reaching for a blue Bible because you didn't bring yours, it'll be on page 686. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus performs several miracles. And uh, we're going to kind of run through uh, one of those real quick, and we're going to get to a second one here. And, and what, what I want you to see is that here in Matthew chapter 8 is the only time that I can find, and, and reading other stuff that other people can find, that Jesus was ever amazed by someone else. The only time that Jesus ever said, wow. See, people were amazed with Jesus all the time, right? Jesus did miracles, and people were astonished by him, and none of their other teachers had that kind of teaching and authority and all those things. But this is the only time we see Jesus looking at someone else and going, wow. And I want you to see it wasn't because of something big the person did. They didn't create something big or build something big or do something amazing. They simply had faith. Look with me at Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 as we set this up. It says, when he came down from the mountainside, and he being Jesus, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And basically what this guy is saying, Jesus, I know you have the power. I know you have the authority. I know you have the ability to make me clean. I believe that, and if you're willing, this can happen. Think about the faith that that took. I believe you can. Are you willing? Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And we go, wow, at least I do. That's cool. That God's able to do that. That Jesus performed that miracle. Look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, and we're going to take a time out real quick because it's important to remember who a centurion was. A centurion was a Roman officer who had a hundred men under his authority, under his control, under his command. And, and he uh, could say whatever he wanted to say to those men and they would follow his orders. That's, that's who the centurion was. The rest of verse 5 says, a centurion came to him asking for help. And, and I love uh, how Andy Stanley says that we have to use our imagination here. And so I invite you again to use your imagination and, and picture this scene. Because too often, we just kind of read through the story and get through it and go, what's the point? But, but you, have to, you have to see this play out. So imagine with me, you've got Jesus and his disciples walking into town. And as they walk into town, who walks up? A Roman centurion, probably flanked by two or three men, you know, maybe on each side. And, and they're coming toward him. And you have to imagine the scene that the disciples at this point are going, oh no. And I think Peter's probably going, oh guys, hey, hey, we got to get ready. Here we go. We are so, as Candace would say, we are so busted. They are coming for us. 
they're here. They're meeting us as we come into town. Because here's what you have to understand at this point. The Romans, they were the bad guys. In first century Judea, the Romans were the enemies. They had invaded, okay? They had conquered. They had taken over. They collected forced taxes. They would be able to, by law, make you carry their stuff for them. They could uh, enslave you. They could take you. And they arrested people, so to speak. And people were never heard or seen from again. The, the Romans, when they come in, they were the people that you would hide from. And you would do everything you can, could to protect yourself from having any interaction with them. And here comes this, this Roman, this pagan, this non-God-fearing heathen guy. And he walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need you to do me a favor. Look at verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And to add a little more commentary... You got to think, remember, Romans are the bad guys. You got to think the disciples and the people that are around Jesus, because all the crowds were following him, were looking at this Roman centurion going, Good. I'm glad that your servant is at home paralyzed and suffering. In fact, I hope that whatever he has is contagious. And I hope that it spreads to your hundred men and then all the way up to Caesar, and you all die because Rome's the enemy. They want him out of there. So they got to be going, he's at home sick. Yes. Hey, Jesus, that's great news. Let's go. Let's get out of here and go heal some Jewish people, right? Let's, let's take our cue and leave. But look at what it says in verse 7. Jesus says to him, I will go and heal him. To which i got to think the followers, and maybe Peter at this point is going, uh, excuse me, Jesus? Uh, point of clarification the religious leaders and teachers of the law already think you're just a little weird. They already want to kill you. So if you do this, you're fraternizing with the enemy, and this is not good. You could be the Benedict Arnold before Benedict Arnold, right? You're, you're turning sides here. Jesus says, I will go and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, which I have to say, think Peter went, you're right! You don't! See, Jesus, even he gets it. Let's go. Come on. But look at what the centurion says. But just, uh, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. In other words, this centurion is saying, hey, Jesus, I believe that you say the word, and he will be healed. You kind of take that, you know, that miracle, and you just upload it to the iCloud. And when I get home, I'll just download it. It'll be there, you know, that type of thing. I believe you can do that. At this point, I have to think there's a long pause. And Peter and the rest of the disciples and the people around are, are kind of going, what did he say? What's happening here? The centurion says, for I myself am a man under authority. And the implication here is, Jesus, I, I get this. I understand what's happening here. I, I'm a guy that's under authority. I have a hundred men under my command. And if I say to one go, they go. If I say to one come, they come. And see, he knows that he has that authority, not because he's bigger or stronger or better looking or whatever. He knows he has that authority because of who he represents. That centurion represents Rome. And he has all the authority of Rome over the hundred men that's in his command. And so they're not disobeying him, they're disobeying Rome. And what he's saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I know that you have authority too. I may not know who it is that you have authority under, but I believe that whoever you're under authority, you have the authority over sickness and death. And so your authority that it comes from is, is more powerful than this, so you can do whatever you want. 
You can do it however you want. And I believe that you can do this right here, that you don't have to go anywhere. You can serve, you can heal my servant long distance. Back to the text, verse 9. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does this. And look at verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. That Greek word there, thamazo, amazed. Jesus went, whoa. Jesus, I think, turned to his disciples at this point and goes, did you get that? Did you write that down on your tablet? Right? Are you taking notes? Did you see what just happened here? I wish all of the Jews had the faith of who? This Roman centurion. Hey, disciples, hey, followers, do you see what I'm saying here? I think you should be more like this Roman centurion, this guy that you hate. This guy that you would rather see dead. This guy that you don't want to help at all. You don't want me to help. I want you to be more like him. Jesus continues in verse 10, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Think about what a slap in the face that was to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, to all of his followers, and to all the Jews. God's chosen people Jesus says, I haven't found anybody has faith like this guy. Big faith. Jesus came to the people and he performed miracles for them and he he taught them. Why? So that we could look at him and go, wow? No. So we could look at him and know that he had authority and who he represented so that we could put our trust and our faith and our confidence in him because Jesus represents God. And Jesus is coming to do what? To reestablish that relationship that was lost Back in the garden. Scriptures tell us time and time again, and it's revealed that what God wants from us is relationship. And too often, we make it about religion or about rules or about all this other stuff. And God wants us to be in relationship with him. And I I just, I really believe that it, it starts with a big faith. It starts with complete trust. So how do we do that? How do we get that type of faith? Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about five things that grow your faith. And hear me on this. Some of you may say, all right, I'm checking out for the next five weeks. That's okay, because there's a couple of disclaimers to this series. The first one is this. This is not going to be a to-do sermon series, okay? You're not going to walk out of here with do these five things or do these 12 things and you're going to grow in your faith, okay? And that's going to frustrate some of you because you want to walk out here going, okay, what do I do? God's going to show that. We're going to have some practical stuff. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but this is not a list of five things. You go do these five things and you'll have greater faith. The second thing that may frustrate some of you is you're not going to find this list in Scripture anywhere. (laughs) It's scripturally based, supports it, and and I think it's very true, but... You're not going to be able to, you know, turn to Second Opinions chapter 4 and find this list of five things, and you do these, and that's thus saith the Lord. The other thing that, that may frustrate you, may discourage you, is I could be wrong. At the end of the series, you may look at it and go, excuse me, man, there were six, you've missed one, or there were only four, that one really doesn't apply, and, and you could come to your own conclusion, and if you do, I, that's fine. I just understand, that, that's okay. Because the thing about it is, as we talk about these five things, these five things are 
five things that, that I think God uses in our life in order to help us grow a big faith. And what's going to happen in, in your life is two or three of these, is gonna, they're going to speak to you more than the others. And you're going to think that those are the only ones that really apply. But to someone else, it could be the other two or three things. And so you're going to dismiss a couple and focus, and they're going to dismiss. And that's okay, because God uses different things in different ways with different people to help grow your faith. Because he made us all individuals. He made us all unique. And, and he wants us to grow. He wants our faith to grow. So in your bulletin, there, there's five blanks. And you're going to fill them in. I'm going to ask you to. And if you're like me, you've got to get them filled in. Or you feel weird when you walk out of here. So I'm going to try to do that relatively quickly. And, and then we'll, we'll wrap up and move on. But, but here's what we're going to talk about. Next week, we're going to talk about practical teaching. One of the things God uses to, to grow your faith is his word. Practical teaching. And and whenever you hear someone's story about how they came into a relationship with Christ or how God was using things to grow their faith, oftentimes you hear them say, I actually read the word of God and allowed God to speak to me. You know, I talk to a lot of people who they went to church, you know, growing up or, you know, they were religious growing up or they had a, had a Bible on the coffee table and, and they really never read it. It was really never part of what they did. Yeah, they, they could you know, quote some prayers, and, and they knew some memorized passages of scriptures, but that's all it was. It was just stuff that, that I knew, and, and then they read the Bible, and somebody said, here, read this, and, and it changed them, because for the first time, they understood that God's word is alive, that it's practical, that it's applicable, and it has power in your life if you'll apply it, if you'll allow it to be a practical teaching in your life, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that next week. Then we're going to talk about uh, providential relationships. For a lot, of, a lot of people, you hear the story and they say, my life was going this way and then I met her, or then I met him, or then this couple, or then this, this friend at work said to me, and, and their lives turned, their lives changed because of that relationship. And you realize that it wasn't just by chance, it wasn't by, you know, something that just out of the blue happened. God ordained that, and it was a providential relationship, and God used that to grow your faith. The third one. Private disciplines. These are the things where, where someone has, has taught you or shown you how, how to engage with God more. You begin to, to read God's word on a regular basis. You begin to pray uh, on a regular basis. You make it a part of what you do. Maybe someone ha has taught you to journal or, or gave you another book that, that really challenged you. Uh, maybe you began giving on a regular basis. Maybe you were even asked to join them in a fast. And you're like, fast? What's that? Are you going to run? Or no. We're just going to abstain from something for a while to, to allow God to speak to us. And through those private disciplines, God started working on you. He started changing you. And as we begin to do those private disciplines as individuals, you, you'll hear the stories. You'll, you'll hear people share, and maybe you'll be the one sharing of how, how, God, how God showed you how much of a grip money had on your life. And it wasn't until you started giving on a regular basis that you realized how free you could be from that slavery. It, it, it may be such a thing that, that you started really praying to God, not just those memorized prayers that we all learned as kids, which are great, but we really started just talking to God and really telling God what we really felt and really thought, and we trusted God with it, and it changed our lives. So you see, God's going to use the disciplines that we do in our daily life to grow our faith. There's a fourth one, personal ministry. If you really want your faith to grow, if you really want to trust God, you've got to put yourself in situations in which you can allow him to be the only thing you can rely on. Oftentimes when someone is asked to serve or to do something, what's the response? What's your response? Not me, right? I'm not qualified. I don't have time. 
I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't, you know, we have this litany of excuses, right? And my challenge to you is maybe that's the point. Maybe God wants to use you in spite of all those things. And it's because of all those things, and they may be very true, that God says, yeah. And that way, whenever you try it and you succeed, you'll know it's not by your strength. It's by mine. And he will grow your faith in a way that you never thought possible. Can I tell you that's one of the reasons Doug and Lorna are, are leading the adult Christian education class on spiritual gifts, to just try to equip you and empower you and, and give you the knowledge that you, you may need in order to, to say, here's what God has gifted me with, here's the passions I have, here's how I can use those to serve God. And I'll be the first to tell you that I was excited that there were 15 in there this morning. I'm a little disappointed that there were only 15 in there this morning. Because unless you can sit there right now and tell me, yes, God gave me this gift and this gift and this gift, and I'm using them here, here, and here, maybe that class is for you. Because we need to be engaged. And as a church, we haven't always done the best job of giving you those opportunities. And we admit that, that we fail you in that. And we're working on that. The other thing that I want you to hear and hear very clearly is that you don't have to use your gifts inside the walls of this church. In fact, it's better when you don't. You go and use those gifts in your community, in your neighborhood, to your neighbors, and you serve and you engage in personal ministry that God's leading you to do. That's what's going to make a difference for the kingdom, and that's how God's going to grow your faith. Fifth one, pivotal circumstances. This is probably one of the ones that we recognize the most, right? Someone died, someone got sick, you got married, you had a child, something happened and it changed your life. It's, you were at a point where things could have gone either way in your relationship with God and God used those things in your life to help grow your faith. Sometimes it's a, a situation, a circumstance like having a baby. There's a lot of times couples that they meet and they get married and they're going through life and then they, they get pregnant and they have a baby and then they go, Maybe we should go to church, right? I mean, we both went to church when we were kids, so maybe we should do that for her. And they come back, and it's a pivotal, pivotal circumstance that draws them back in the church. Maybe it's a major change at work, you know, loss of a job or a promotion, and you're like, whoa, I, I need this. It's, it's almost a crisis situation, and, and God wants to use those things to help grow your faith. And the reason we're going to talk about these things is because it's important that we recognize how we can put ourselves in positions to uh, allow God to leverage these things in order to grow our faith. Too often we just kind of walk through life and we just try to get through things and we don't allow God the opportunity to use the things that we're all going to experience anyway to grow our faith and instead we just skirt right on the edges of what God's trying to do and we never grow. Why not allow those things in life that are going to happen anyway to affect us? And to help us grow into that relationship with Christ. That's one of the hardest lessons I think we learn in life. It's how God can leverage the worst things in life to be used for good. How God wants to use those heartaches and those heartbreaks. And he wants to turn them into good. And how God can use the good and the blessings in your life to turn it into even better. And whenever we go through life and we're trusting God and, and we're growing, it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't make life necessarily easier to get through, but at least we're allowing that pain and those hard times to help grow us and to change us and to mold us into who God wants us to be so that our relationship 
will be stronger with God because the stronger, the more trust, the more trust, the more intimacy, the more intimacy, the more deeper the relationship is. We're talking a lot about growing, and in our mind, the idea is growing, and we think about growing upward and and making something big and huge, but I want to challenge you with this. Growing up on a farm, one of the first things you always checked after you planted, and hopefully you got a nice little, you know, one-inch soft rain, which made things very, very nice, was when that crop sprung through the top, the first thing my grandpa always did was he'd go out and he'd dig up six or seven of those. And you know why? Because it didn't matter how high up the top was. What mattered was how many roots were on there. Because if it had no root system, if it just really shot, it wasn't going to live. Because that Missouri heat was going to come and just kill it. We have to grow deeper. So as we talk about growing in our faith, we have to understand that it's, it goes both directions. We have to become more firmly rooted in our faith and in our trust and in our confidence in God if we're ever going to expand out. If we're ever going to grow, if we're ever going to be a light in the community that people say, I want what they have. We, we have to be willing to grow. We have to be willing to grow deeper. What God wants with you and for you is a relationship with him. He desires that more than anything else. That's why he sent his son. That's why he does what he does. That's why he gave us his word. And so that we could have that relationship with him. And as we have that relationship with him, and we have that faith, we have that trust, we have that confidence, we're going to do the things that please him. That's what God desires for us, is to trust him. And I hope that through this series that you'll grow in your knowledge and you'll walk in obedience to God. And I pray that that will happen because you put your faith and your trust more deeply upon him. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. That's what he wants for your kids. That's what he wants for this church. It's for us to be men and women and boys and girls of of faith, of trust, so that every day, again, imagine with me, when you wake up, the first thought you have is, God, I trust you. I don't know what's going to happen today, God, but I trust you. Is that your first thought in the day? I venture to say it's not. It's not always my first thought. Because life gets in the way of what we desire. And what God is calling us back to is in that relationship with him that we trust him more than we trust ourselves or anything else. We're going to wrap up today quite a bit different than we normally do. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, to join me in doing something that's going to make, it's going to make you uncomfortable. Okay, so I'm just telling you right now. And if you're visiting with us, I'm really sorry that you're visiting today. Okay, um, come back next week, and I can't promise I won't do this again, but it'll be different. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to just be real. That's sometimes hard to do, especially on a Sunday morning when we come, we get kind of dressed up, and we're like, hey, I'm here. Isn't that enough? Right? I could have stayed in bed. It was pretty cool this morning. It would have been nice. But would you be real before yourself and God? And the only way that's really going to work is if you will take responsibility for you right now, and you do business with God yourself, and you don't worry about anybody else. Because the moment we start worrying about someone else, we're no longer trusting in God, we're trusting in ourselves or someone else. And so I just, just want to really challenge you, maybe guilt you just a little bit into just doing this with me for a minute, okay? I'm going to invite you right now 
to just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask everybody to do it. The musicians are talented, talented enough to play and not look, so they're going to do that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want to ask you a, a couple of questions. How's your faith? Can you be honest with yourself and honest before God and just answer that question? I'm also going to ask you to do this, and this is what's going to you know, weird some of you out. It's okay. If you answer that question of how's your faith and, and it's less than you desire for it to be, would you simply just raise your hand just for just a second and hold it there? Just a second. Nobody's looking, everybody head down, eyes closed. You put your hands down. Father God, I want to pray for those people who are bold enough to say, man, it's not where it should be, God. God, I thank you that they recognize it. I thank you that they're willing to admit it. And God, I pray that, that you would help them as they strive to allow you to grow their faith. And God, for those people who didn't raise their hand in one of two categories, either one, their relationship with you is good and their faith is strong and they're walking with you, God, I praise you for them and I thank you that they're in our midst and that they can encourage the rest of us and, and they can build us up and lift us up and, and we can follow their example as they're following you. And God, for those who didn't do anything because they're just scared or they, they don't care, God, I, I pray that you would give them the peace that can only come from you, that they would feel your presence in a way maybe that they've never felt before. God, would you help them to discover and experience your love that can change their life for the good and that they will quit holding on to the things of the world and will grasp completely and totally upon you and you alone. Father God, we, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've established a relationship with us and you've asked us to trust you and to give you all of our faith and all of our confidence. God, I, I pray that we would do that a little bit at a time or all at once, God, day after day after day, that we would grow closer to you. Thank you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe today... You raise your hand, and obviously we're not going to embarrass anybody, but you need to talk to somebody. Because in all honesty, you raise your hand because you know that you've been trying to do it on your own, and it's not going to get any better as you continue to try to do it on your own. Part of what we want to do as a church is to encourage you and love you and, and help. And if you'll give us that opportunity, we'll do the best we can. We're not going to do it perfect because we're not perfect people, but we're going to walk in obedience to the Lord and do what he's called us to do. And we invite you to join us in that. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you need to do that today as well. We invite you to do that. There's going to be a time right now when we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if you want to talk to someone, you simply make your way over to the cross. You make your way to the back. You come, you come find somebody. You find somebody in your row and just say, hey, would you pray with me? And just encourage one another and pray with one another and be there for each other. If you have a decision to make, we challenge you this morning to do your business with God and to make that decision and to walk out of here committed to growing in your faith. Stand with me. We're going to sing this song. Ian's going to lead us. You make your way. You do business with God.